If you weren't with us last week, just hit a couple of little highlights here to kind of let you know where we're at here in the book of Joshua, right around Joshua 15. But what happens here, starting in Joshua 13, is it's the remaining part of the land, and they start dividing up this land. Now, the first 12 chapters of Joshua cover a span of about maybe five years or so, five to seven years. The remaining part of Joshua takes about 20 years. Now, why does it take so long? Because they're divvying up the land, and you're going to find out here as they go through this, they send out scouts, they scout out the land, they mark the borders. Anybody that's ever bought or sold a house, you know what I'm talking about. You buy it, you get the date, you got to wait for the keys, etc. Now, imagine doing this with millions of people and thousands of acres of land. There's a lot of stuff going on. So what we're doing here from Joshua 13 on, we are going through it chapter by chapter, etc. But we're kind of hitting some of the points. So if you weren't with us last week, we kind of talked about the beginning here of Joshua 13, about the land being divvied up, and then we talked about being age of Joshua, the age of Caleb, and we spent a lot of time in Joshua 14, verses 6 through 15, and we really talked about who Caleb was. 85 years old out there, wholly serving the Lord, and I encourage you, if you weren't with us, grab a copy of that, listen to that online, and I hope that blesses you. So we have two things that we're going to talk about tonight, still stories about the land being divvied up. And I hope this blesses you as well, too. The first one is a continuation of Caleb. And once again, we've been introduced to Caleb before. He was one of the two spies way back in the book of Numbers. He was about 40 years old when that happened. He came out of Egypt. So he's one of the original ones. Him and Joshua are only the ones, the original ones yet, that get this idea of seeing the Red Sea part of the Jordan, the idea of Jericho. They've been through this all. They're in their 80s at this time. And so now Caleb has inherited his land in chapter 14, 6 through 15. But there's this little story about Caleb and his daughter, verse 13 of Joshua 15. Now Caleb, the son of Shephunneh, he gave a share among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kerjath Arba, which is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there, Shesha, Amaha, Tama, the children of Anak. Remember, those were the giants. We've talked about the giants now the last couple weeks. And just these huge men. And we talked about how they were physically this presence, but spiritually they represent giants in your life that need to be taken down through the Lord. So we've covered that the last couple weeks as well too. Verse 15, Then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Derber. Formerly the name of Derber was Kurjath Sephar. And Caleb said, He who attacks Kurjath Sephar and takes it, to him I will give Akash my daughter as wife. So Anthanel, the son of Kenes, the brother of Caleb, took it, and he gave him Akash his daughter as wife. Now it was so when she came to him that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. So she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? She answered, Give me a blessing, since you have given me land in the south. Give me also springs of water. So he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Now, I love stories like that. Because you read that, and you're like, I have no idea what I just read, and I have no idea what I'm supposed to get out of it. So what I get out of it is this. Caleb says, Hey, who wants my daughter? Um, If you take over this town, you get my daughter. And then, so this guy, who happens to be his nephew, verse 17, takes it over. He gets his daughter. And so then, while they're getting the land, the daughter says, Hey, Dad, uh, can I have a little bit more of a blessing? Can you give me the water up and down? He says, Sure. All right, amen. Let's move on. So, what I love about this is there's something in here. I, there, there is something in here because the Bible makes it clear. There's no idle words. Every jot, every tittle, every little mark, every little word. There's something where the Lord says this is Holy Spirit inspired. And what are we supposed to get out of this story? So I just want to tell you what I get out of this. And I just want to apply it to us here. The main thing I see 
is Caleb wanting to bless his daughter. That's what I see. And I see her in verse 18 wanting something and coming to him and asking for it. So verse 19, give me a blessing since you have given me land in the south. Give me also springs of water. You have to understand it's obviously totally different back then than it is today. If we want water, we dig a well. That's not the options they necessarily had, especially to water livestock, to water agriculture, etc. To have land with water on it, flowing water was priceless. Priceless. That's why one of the worst things you could do back during Bible times to your enemy was to fill his wells in with dirt. That was one of the worst things you could do, is they would come and just keep dumping dirt into your well to make it go dry and just to make it unusable. So for her to have the land and the water, that's a blessing. And what the blessing it is, verse 19, she gets the upper and the lower springs. If she just got the lower springs and somebody had the upper springs, well, they could have dammed up the water, they could have diverted the flow, they could have taken. By her having the upper and the lower, she has full control over it. She's got the land, she's got the water, the upper, the lower, she is blessed. And why is she blessed? Because verse 19, she asked. So, let's talk about this. we got lots of scriptures to go to tonight. I was going to put them on a PowerPoint for you guys, and I thought, nah... You guys need to work out a little bit. So let's go to Romans, please. I can do what I do at home with my boys. I have a thing of candy. And we do sword drills and we do devotions. And so whoever gets there first, I could toss you a piece of candy. But the problem is my boys have a tendency to cheat at sword drills, which is another story for another day. And I can't see you guys, and I think some of you would probably cheat. So we're going to Romans 8. We're going to go to Romans 8 here, verse 31. Here's our basis for this. And then we've got a couple verses we're going to build on this. Romans 8, 31. Please remember, you're dealing with a dad that's blessing his daughter and a daughter that's willing to ask. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Please just stop and let that verse sink in for a little bit here. If God is for us, who can be against us? You have the creator of the universe on your side. You have God that created the world out of nothing. You have God that can make the sun stand still. You have God that can stop the flow of water. You have God that's going to recreate the heavens and the earth. He is on your side. What could you possibly be dealing with that is too big for him to handle? And not only the creator of the universe, go through all the ways that you know God. You know him as your savior in Jesus Christ. You know him as your father. You know him as your friend. You know him as your brother. You know him as the bride of Christ. You know him in all these different relationships and all these different ways. And so when you understand that, that God is for us, who can be against us? There's nothing you're facing in this world that's bigger than that. So then takes us to verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but delivered it up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The point is this, if God the Father was willing to give us his son, what would he ever hold back from us? Once again, let that sink in. If God the Father was willing to give us his son, nothing pales in comparison to that. Nothing. So for us to ask him for something, he's already proven to us that he would give us the most precious possession in the world, which is Jesus Christ, his own son. And if he's willing to do that for us, there is nothing that he's going to hold back from us. Now let's build on this. Go with me now to Matthew 7. Matthew 7, please. I want you to remember Romans 8, 31 and 32. And I think that's one of those verses you're going to need to meditate and chew on here for the rest of the week. If God is willing to give you his son, what will he hold back from us? Nothing. Matthew 7, please. So now let's understand him then, that if he is willing to give us Jesus... 
He's willing to take care of us here. There's nothing that we can't ask for. So Matthew 7, please. Verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks find. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. That's your Father. That's the God you serve. You ask, he gives. You seek, he helps. You knock, he opens. So when I read about Caleb, and I read about his daughter, there must have been an amazing relationship there. That she doesn't have a problem going to him and saying, Hey, Dad, can I have the, the springs that go with it too? She knew her father. She knew her father wanted to bless her. She knew her father would take care of her. I see so often as Christians, we're afraid to go to God with stuff. I see it. It just blows my mind where somebody will have a prayer request. And I'll hear things like this. And I'll be like, hey, have you prayed about it? And they're like, well, there's so many other people in this world going through so much more worse stuff than me. It just seems so silly for me to ask for prayer for. Then you don't understand your father because he wants to hear from you. Peter says, cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. Everything. And I hear people say this, oh, well, I, I just don't want to pray for myself. I just think that's so selfish to pray for myself. It's like, have you ever read the Gospels? Jesus is praying for himself all the time. You have a relationship, I hope, with your Father in heaven that you can come and do what verses 7 and 8 says. Ask, seek, and knock. And he wants to bless you. He wants to give you the upper springs and the lower springs. Just we're afraid to ask. Now, the problem with this teaching is, I've heard teachers just stop at that. And you walk out of here saying, amen, Santa Claus is my dad. And I'm going to go home and make my list. He's going to check it twice, and he's going to give me whatever I want. Well, you got to read the rest of it. Verse 9, or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? Verses 9 and 10, your God loves you. He's going to give you, give you what you, what you need. If you need food, he's going to give you bread, not a stone. If you ask for a fish to eat, he's not going to say, here's a snake that's going to hurt you. He's not. He wants to bless you. He wants to be involved in your life. And he absolutely loves you. And I think we need to really start to understand the relationship we have with God the Father. I see so many Christians have an intellectual relationship with God the Father. This idea of he's God, creator, Jehovah, I get that. I want you to understand, as Paul calls him, he's Abba, he's Daddy. That's the term, Daddy. And and I want you to understand that. And if you've ever had kids before, go back to your children at that 18-month age, at that toddler age, where they just want to sit on your lap and they just want to be close to you and they just want to show you everything that's happened in their life. I know when I get home from church or a hospital visit, I come in the the house, I I got five boys that just can't wait to tell me, Dad, this is what we've done today. And they have all these stories and everything like that. And I got pictures up in my office of where they've drank because they want to have a relationship with their father. Now, Does it change as we get older? Yeah. You know, my dad right now, if I would draw him a stick figure picture of him and I, I don't know how he would respond to that. I should do that and just report back to you next week and say, hey, dad, I drew you a picture. You put it on the fridge. If you know my father, my dad would probably say no and just move on. That's what he would say. Now, he's got pictures of the grandkids stuff up on the fridge, but mine wouldn't cut it. 
Now, the thing is, we look at that and say, that's an earthly son-father relationship. Things change, and I agree. As I got married, the Bible says in Genesis, I have left my mother and father, and I cleave to my wife, and I look at my relationship with my dad. He is still my dad, but most importantly, he's my brother in Christ. But from a biblical standpoint, I hope you don't ever outgrow the toddler stage with God the Father. That's why you're supposed to have a childlike faith is to constantly realize you just want to sit on his lap. Now, if you're an adult in here tonight and you think, okay, this sounds sort of weird, you're thinking like an earthly human being. I want you to think like a spiritual child of the Father. That's He wants to bless you. See, we had a situation. It was, um, oh, when was it? When we moved into the house. So it had been about 20 years ago. My wife and I moved out of our apartment when we got married, and we moved into a house that we lived in for about 11 years. And my dad and some other people came and helped move a bunch of stuff, etc. And so Dawn and I were just trying to be nice, and so we wrote them all a thank you, and we got like a, them a gift card or something like that to go out to eat at a subway for some reason, I remember. So we gave it to them and helped and did it. So we gave it to my mom and dad, and my mom and dad returned it. And my mom said, we're not going to accept it. I said, why aren't you going to accept it? Dad came over, did everything, moved everything, and helped. And you know what she did? She quoted this verse right here, verse 11. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? She goes, your dad just wants to do good to you. And that really hit me. That really hit me. That there was just that my mom is saying, you don't understand, your dad and I just want to do good to you. And I look at verse 11. That's the God you serve. He just wants to do good to you. Verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and prophets. Verse 11. Your Father in heaven wants to do good to you. He wants to. He's not going to give you a serpent if you ask for a fish. and He's not going to give you a stone if you ask for bread. And that's what I see with Caleb and his daughter. She wants the springs. Hey, I'm going to give you both. God wants to bless you and he wants to do good to you. Now... Don't take this now and run with some type of prosperity gospel thing. Because a good parent also knows when to say no. A good parent also knows what is good. So when I see verse 11, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? That is not a blank check to ask for whatever you want. That's saying that if my dad in heaven says no, I need to trust that he's looking out for my good. Because as an earthly father, I say no. You can't have ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You can't stay up all night every night. No, you can't go play on the road. No, you can't go roll around in poison ivy. And these are all real things. You can't go do those things. As your earthly father, who verse 11, please note verses on parenting, I'm evil. You ever notice how Jesus does those little backhanded things? If you then, being evil, know how to give... Like, you don't even realize that. Like, Jesus, you just insulted me. Um, he didn't insult you. He was honest. I'm evil. Romans 3. I don't even know how to do good. I don't even know how to seek after God. I don't. It has to be the Lord moving and working in me. So the point is, if I, as an evil human being, know how to love and take care of my boys, how much more will God love and take care of me? And I want you to, when you see Caleb and his daughters, I want you to think of that relationship that you have with God the Father. Get past the intellectual side of it. He is your daddy. He is your Abba. You're going to crawl up on his knee. You're going to have a childlike faith. And you're going to come to him with any concern you have and say, Dad, I'm worried. I'm nervous. I'm scared. I'm what have you. 
Will you help me with this? And he's not going to give you a stone. He's not going to give you a servant. He is a good father, and he's going to give you the good that you need. He's not going to give you everything you want. He's going to give you the good that you need. And so therefore, when you sit here tonight and say, well, if he's such a great father, why did he say no? Because he's a good father and he sees the future and he knows what to say no to. You've got to trust that. A nice balance verse for this is found in James 4. James 4 says, you do not have because you do not ask. Well, then I'm going to ask. Well, then the next verse says that you ask, but you're really asking for your own sinful, evil pleasures. And so therefore, God has to say no to it. Understand who your father is, how much he loves you. He's good. He wants to bless you. That's what I see here with Caleb Caleb and his daughter. And I think it's a neat little story just showing the relationship we're supposed to have with God the Father as well. Any quick questions, comments about this here before we move on? All right. Let's go to the next one. Back to Joshua. Like I said, it, it seems like we're jumping and we're really not. Because if you go to verse 20... It breaks down now, we're back in Joshua 15, it breaks down all the names of the cities, etc. You've heard what I've said about this before, I call these gods refrigerator verses. It doesn't mean a whole lot to us, but if I was from the tribe of Judah, and I was living 4,000 years ago when all this was happening, I, I would be thrilled and excited to see the land and the area I got. So, that's why it's important, that's why it's there, and it shows that God is faithful. It is, he is so faithful, and he does what he says he's going to do. And that's what makes it so amazing when you read through these things. You have a tendency to see this stuff, and you kind of say, what's the point of all this? Well, the point of all this is God was faithful, and he did what he said he was going to do, and he accomplished it. That's why it's so great. So you kind of see the cities there, and then we get into chapter 16. And now we're into Manasseh and Ephraim. If you remember Manasseh and Ephraim, it is uh, the sons of Joseph. Uh, They get a double blessing because Joseph was told he'd get a double blessing. And they're big. They're really big. Big groups of people here. Powerful groups of people. So now we have a little story about them getting their land. Verse 14, chapter 17 of Joshua. Then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua saying, Why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit? Since we are great people and as much as the Lord has blessed us into now. Okay, this is part of the issue that's going on here with the dividing of the land. Why does it take so long to do? Because you've got little things like this that pop up. So you've got Manasseh and you've got Ephraim that show up and they say, Hey, we don't got enough land. Joshua, give us more land. Verse 14, we're great people. We're large in numbers. We're powerful. We need more land. Give it to us. Now... Context seems to show that these guys were maybe just wanting a little bit more. And that happens a lot in life. I don't know about you guys. I still struggle with that. I want my fair share piece of the pie. If I'm really being honest, I don't want my fair share piece of the pie. I want the biggest slice of the piece of the pie. But as a Christian, I'm not allowed to say that. So what happens is we want what we want, and we want it now. The Lord's really been working on my heart here the last few weeks, uh, just probably about the last month or so, just selfishness. How much selfishness is in me? Just, I want it my way, how I want everything. It's like, wow, Lord, I need to die to that. And so I kind of look here at the children of Joseph coming up, and it's just selfishness. We want more. So what does Joseph do? Excuse me, Joshua do, verse 15. So Joshua answered them, If you are a great people, then go up to the forest country, clear a place for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. Verse 15, I like that. If you are a great people... That word if is is vitally important. Remember that word if. 
Joshua's saying, so if you're so powerful, go do it. Take the land. What are you going to do, verse 15? Since you're such a powerful group of people, go up to the forest country, chop down the trees, take care of the giants, you get the mountains. Okay? So you think they would be happy, right? Well, verse 16. The children of Joseph said, The mountains country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley will have chariots of iron, both those who are Beth Shean and its towns, and those who are the valley of Jezreel. They come back in verse 16, and if you're a note taker, just put down by verse 16, wine. They're just whining. You wanted more land, I'm giving you more land. Oh, but I don't want the mountains. There's, there's too many people, there's too many giants, there's too many trees. Verse 16, the chariots of iron, both those. And you just almost see this person sitting on the couch and just, woe is me. I don't know when this started happening, but as Christians, we get really good at pity parties. I mean, we really do. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We're bound for heaven. The creator of the universe is our God, our Savior, our friend, our brother. And we sit there and just go, woe is me. The mountain is too big. There's too many trees. And the giants are too large. And what Joseph says is this. See, I keep saying Joseph. What Joshua says is this. You want more land? Cut the trees down yourself. Take the giants out yourself. Climb the mountain out yourself. He still, God still says the same thing to us. You want it? Go do it. Go. But the problem is we want the easy way out. I don't want to cut down trees. I don't want to kill giants. And I don't want to climb mountains. Do you realize in the Bible, you you cannot find a verse where God has promised you anything easy other than salvation. And I think the problem is we expect this easy route. We were just having Bible study this morning at our house. And and one of the guys brought up this verse in Matthew 7 about the path is narrow and difficult. path is narrow and difficult. Paul said, it's through many tribulations you must enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. But then he says, take heart, I've overcome the world. So what happens is as Christians, we want this easy but yet deep relationship with God. And I don't want to cut down a tree, I don't want to kill a giant, and I don't want to climb a mountain. I tell you, I, you're not going to get it. If you want a deep relationship with the Lord, you've you got to be killing giants, cutting down trees, and climbing mountains. you got to. Because that is how the Lord grows you in your faith. He took care of salvation for you. It is finished on the cross through Jesus' grace alone. But you get to choose how deep you want to go with Him. And Jesus will take you as deep as you personally want to go. The problem is we kind of start to falter a little bit. And as we start to falter, to be honest, it kind of reveals sometimes how weak we are. Can you go with me real quick to uh, 1 Corinthians 15? 1 Corinthians 15. There's a great verse in the book of Proverbs that it says, If in the day of adversity your faith falters, how weak is your faith? Now, that's not a verse to pick on you. That is a realization verse. If any of you have ever been in any type of athletics before, 1 Corinthians 15, be it running, be it weightlifting, whatever, you don't know how much you can lift until you keep putting weight on the bar. Running, you don't know how fast your mile time is until you get out there and run a mile. you got to do it. Same thing with Christianity. I don't know how deep my walk is with the Lord. Okay, well, we're going to throw some trials and tribulations at you and see how you respond. Well, I don't want trials and tribulations. Well, then you're never going to know how deep you are. It is so easy to be praising God 
When the worship is what you want and the teaching is what you want and the ministry is what you want and the service is what you want and your health is right and your family is right, you don't know. You want to know how deep you are? Go through some trials and tribulations and see how you respond. Then you find out. So what about, though, cutting down these trees and killing giants and climbing mountains? You know, I guess it comes down to this. How much do you spiritually want to sweat? Because Jesus took care of everything on the cross. He did. But the depth you want to go is kind of up to you. And so Joshua is telling the sons of Joseph, listen, you want the land? You can have the land. But you've got to work for the land. If you want depth, you're going to have to put some effort into it. If you want to know your Bible, you're going to have to be in the Bible. If you want to be able to slay giants spiritually, you've got to be brave enough through the Lord, obviously, to take them on. You've got to be courageous and bold. If you want to go out there and see eternity change, then you've got to have boldness from the Lord to go out and represent Jesus Christ. You've got to open your mouth when it comes. And if you look at your family and you stop and say, I don't like the way my family is right now, okay, well, then you've got to have enough guts to say, let's make some changes. But I see a lot of Christians sitting on the sidelines saying, oh, I want things to be different. But I don't want to cut down a tree. I don't want to kill a giant. I don't want to climb a mountain. Look at Paul here. Paul's kind of going through Jesus' death and resurrection. He's talking about everybody that was seen by Jesus. And pick it up in verse 9 to 1 Corinthians 15. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecute the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. I labored more abundantly than they all. Paul basically says this, I'm the least of the apostle, but in verse 10, I'm actually one of the best of the apostles. Why? Because verse 10, I worked harder than any of them. Now, if you just stop at that verse, you're going to get into a little bit of almost workspace mentality. And the problem you're going to be is, look at how great of a Christian I am. Look at how much I read, look how much I pray, look how many people I witness to. And we think it's us. Paul labored more abundantly than they all. But now we have to read the second part of the verse. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. See, Paul is saying, I labored more abundantly, but I can't even take credit for laboring more abundantly because it's really God working in me that made me labor more abundantly. See, our, our mind doesn't work that way. Paul, how did you become such a great man of God? Oh, I worked hard for it. Oh, man, I'm going to go out and work hard like Paul. Oh, no, no, you don't get it. I worked hard for it. It was really God doing all the work. See, that almost sounds contradictory. But it's not contradictory according to the Lord. That's the way the Lord works. Let's keep building on this. Go to Philippians now, please. Philippians 2. This verse causes a lot of confusions for people. Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Your, your faith, your salvation is supposed to work out. Now, that doesn't mean you work for your salvation. You've heard me use this example all the time. If I go work out my biceps, my biceps don't start growing new muscles and biceps become triceps. No, the muscles that are there become stronger. So the salvation is already there. You just become stronger in your walk with the Lord. Well, now, once again, this verse sounds like it's all me. If I just pray more, read more, fast more, serve more, I'll be a better Christian. Which is true. 
And Paul said, I labored more abundantly than them all. But then he said, it wasn't me, it was grace. See, we stop at this verse, though. Look at 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now go right to 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Wait a second. So I work out my own salvation, but yet it's God doing all the work. Yeah. So I labor harder than anybody else, but yet it's God doing all the work in me. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? That's not contradictory. That's the way it is. God is just saying, are you a willing vessel? Are you willing to put some spiritual sweat into your life? And if you are, I'll work in you. And you'll grow and you'll go deeper. Next thing you know, you're cutting down trees, you're killing giants, and you're climbing mountains. But I think there's a lot of Christians that are willing to sit at the bottom of the mountain and look up at that mountain and say, oh, I wish I could. You can. Oh, I can't do it. I can't be like you. I can't be like me either. According to Paul, it's God that does it all for me. I just got to be willing to take the step of faith and start up the mountain with an axe in my hand. You know, when they crossed the Jordan, you know what happened. You remember it. They put their foot in the water, and as soon as they put their foot in the water, that's when the water split. Somebody had to be willing to get their foot wet. And I think a lot of times, if you've got a mountain in your life full of giants and trees, and you're like, I can't, God says, I know you can't, but I'm just asking you, take an axe, take a sword, put one foot on that mountain and start walking up, and I'll take it from there. Can you in faith just be willing to go on the mountain? And next thing you know, trees are coming down, giants are being killed, and God gets the glory. I worked abundantly harder than anybody else, yet God did all the work in me. I worked out my own salvation with fear and trembling, but yet it was God who worked in me. Yeah, that's the way it works. So what I want to finish with is this. Go back to Joshua, please, now. You got in verse 14... The children of Joseph saying, we want more. We're great. We're powerful. Verse 15, you got Joshua being a little sarcastic. Well, if you're so great and powerful, do it. Then you got verse 16, them coming back and whining. We can't. There's giants. There's trees. There's hills. There's chariots of iron. So what should Joshua do now? Go to verse 17. Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You are a great people, and have great power. Please note, remember I told you the most important word was verse 15, is if. See, Joshua was trying to show them in verse 15, if you're so great and powerful to go do it. They said, we can't. Now look what Joshua does in verse 17. You are, you can do it. I love that. He goes, you can, you are a great people, you are a great power, and you should not only have one lot, Let the mountain country be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours. You shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. Joshua, here he is, probably at this time in his late 80s, maybe early 90s. I almost see him like a fatherly figure, taking the leaders of these tribes, putting his hand on their shoulder, saying, Guys, you can do this. You can do this. You are a great people. You are powerful. And you know what you're going to do? And don't you almost envision Joshua standing at the foot of that mountain with these guys looking up that mountain saying, Guys, you're going to go right up that mountain. You're going to cut down those trees. You're going to kill those giants. You're going to take out those chariots because God is with you. That's just an amazing thing. See, they thought they were powerful. Verse 15, Joshua says, If you're so powerful, go do it. They come back in verse 16. We can't. Joshua goes, I know. But you can't. 
And I think this is where, as believers, we need to make sure that we are equipping the body of Christ and not whipping the body of Christ. There are times that we need to be firm and say, hey, go take down the trees, go kill the giants, go climb the mountain. And there's also times when we need to go up to them, put our hand on their shoulder, as the Bible says, uphold the weak and say, listen, I know you can do this. You can do this in the Lord. And the verses I want to finish with, just write them down. Most of them you'll know. First one, Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. That's a great verse. Next one, Romans 8.37. Romans 8.37. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And the last one, Ephesians 3.20. Ephesians 3.20. God is able to do more abundantly than what you can say or think. See, even what I think would be amazing. You know, God would be really amazing if you would do this. God says, yeah, James, you're thinking too small. I can even do more than that. How, Lord? Because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You are more than a conqueror in the Lord. And that's what I see Joshua doing here to the sons of Joseph. It's just that you can do this. You can do this. Instead of them whining, instead of them complaining, you are a great people and you can do this. I don't know what you're facing tonight. I don't know what force you need to clear. I don't know what mountain you need to climb. I don't know what iron chariot is facing you. And I don't know what giant's facing you. I just want to remind you of those three verses. You can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens you. You are more than a conqueror in Christ. And he is able to do exceedingly abundantly even than what you think. How encouraging is that? And that's what we need to remember. And that's what we need to focus on. And these are just the little tidbits that we get to pull out of the book of Joshua here. Um, and spurst between the dividing of the land, there's these great little stories where we stop and say, yeah, Lord, you're still moving, you're still working. Hey, any final questions, comments about anything here before we close up with a word of prayer? Okay. All righty. Hey, would you guys stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, we, we know this stuff. We know it intellectually. It's right there. We can quote the verses. But Lord, we, we want to go from knowing it in our head to living it out in our heart. That we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That we are more than a conqueror in you. And that you can do exceedingly, abundantly all that we say or think. Whoever is here tonight, whoever is listening to this online or gets a copy of the CD, whatever mountain is too big, Whatever forest is too thick, whatever chariot has too much iron, and whatever giant is too tall, remind them, show them the power that works in them through you, through your Holy Spirit, and that the power of God of the universe is upon us. Lord, thank you for what you're doing, what you've done. We lift this up in your name. And Lord, once again, for everybody that's traveling tonight on vacation, so many people gone, safety physically for them. But, Lord, also they would have a ministry mindset in every conversation that you have. Be purposeful, Lord. In your name, in the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, you guys have a safe July 4th. Have a blessed week, and we'll catch you later.